The following message is by Dr. J.R. Cuevas, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Um, if you are a member here, um, you should have received in the mail a Christmas card uh, from our church uh, with the verse Isaiah 9, verse 6, and, and that the plan was to turn that verse into a sermon. Uh, that is a verse that's uh, typically circulated in Christmas cards uh, to get you into the Christmas spirit. But it is from the Bible, and everything in the Bible is meant to be preached. And so with that, uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, verses 6 through 7. And let me read the text, and we will uh, get into this message. Isaiah 9, chapter 6 through 7. This is God's word. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And bow your heads with me and let's pray One more time. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to meet and to gather uh, to worship you on this Sunday morning. We think of the resurrected Christ uh, who reigns on your right hand, who we worship today. And we do pray that everything that we do would exalt him. Uh, may his word be clear. May the revelation of him uh, be impressed upon our hearts in the midst of all that's happening in the world today, uh, and may he be exalted in our hearts uh, in this planet this Sunday morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, there's a bit of a running joke here, uh, even amongst our staff, that apparently uh, JR knows everybody. Um, somehow we have these members' meetings these members' interviews, and I'm there having not met the person, we realize that there's a one-degree separation between me and this person that I've never met. And uh, I didn't realize the extent of it. Do I really know everybody or have some kind of connection with everybody until I, uh, I played this UTR league match. It was a tennis match uh, for a tournament that I joined uh, this past fall. And I was set up to play uh, this guy. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, not going to say his name, but he was someone who was born and raised in Ireland, about 15 or 20 years older than me. And I'm thinking, sure, uh, I have zero connection to this guy. I can just go to this match, do whatever small talk, play the match, and enjoy myself, knowing that there's someone here who doesn't know me. And after we finished the match, we started small talking, and that's when I realized that, I guess, my grandmother's godmother had tried to get his father-in-law killed somehow um, in our non-Christian days and I'm thinking we're just playing a tennis match this happened with someone from Ireland uh, who's white haired and blue eyed but I guess a part of it is because uh, of my own history I don't want to have a connection with everybody I, I like my privacy I like my introversion but um, I I've been all over the world I people have asked if I could just share <laughs> one day just give my um, a summary of my life history. I was born in Asia, in the Philippines, in the Pacific, and spent the better part of the first nine years of my life there. And then 
Um, my family moved back and forth to Hawaii, which was my first taste of the United States, which I realized isn't really as American as I <laughs> thought after coming here. But we moved back and forth, and that's where I spent the heart of my childhood in Hawaii, and actually went to the school that um, Barack Obama graduated from. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I was also born on Justin Timberlake's birthday. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing either. And then from Hawaii, after my parents divorced, uh, we moved to Los Angeles, the heart of Los Angeles, next to K-Town on Wilshire Boulevard. And, uh, and then after three years there, um, moved to Las Vegas, of all places. If you remember uh, um, the mayor of Las Vegas, because you may have seen her on the news because she got some heat after all that's been happening with the coronavirus, uh, the mayor of Las Vegas today was my uh, guidance counselor in my high school. <laughs> um, and so when she was getting this heat and I saw her picture, I actually, well, I, I'll leave the rest for <laughs> uh, And then from there, moved to San Diego, where uh, I went to college and spent the next seven years there, which is where I met my wife. And then from there, uh, for church ministry, moved to the Bay Area. And so we've been, I, I've been in how many different, how many, two different countries, how many different states, how many different cities. Uh, my blood family is all over the world from Hawaii to Arizona to Idaho to Boston to New York to Washington, D.C. to Seattle to Wisconsin to Oklahoma to Chicago to the Philippines and to Canada. And we have younger siblings who live and were raised in England uh, with the full Harry Potter accents. So and for missions trips, I've been to the Philippines and the Czech Republic and Argentina and India and Honduras. And so all that to say, I'm giving this history uh, to give some weight behind what I'm about to say. And it's that I'm not, I'm not exactly old. I mean, I think that you know, this hair is still black. And I, I didn't dye it black. It still is black. Um, and after living in... But after living in two different continents and two different countries, um, three different states and eight different cities and how many different schools that I've been to um, for 37 years, I have never seen a year like 2020. Um, when our parents moved us to the United States in 1993 to give I did not want to move, by the way. I begged my dad to get us to stay in Asia, and they, they did the move in secret. They said we were going to go on vacation. And we moved to Hawaii, or we, we were on vacation in Hawaii, and they said we were going to be there just for the summer. And then we were right outside Fun Factory one day, and I was in the car, and this Toyota Previa with my sister, and... Uh, and my mom was in the front, and my sister said, we're not going back. And I said, what? And I looked at my mom, and she said, we're not going back. And I said, this was a trick. We've been here. I'm happy we moved here. If the condition of the US in 1993 was the condition that it is today, I don't know if our parents would have moved us here. Um, and you know, instead of running through the history of what we've experienced in the year 2020 starting in March, I thought it'd be good to just throw out some words and some acronyms and some slogans that I think have become part of our vernacular that weren't prior to this year. So listen to these words and these phrases. There's <clears throat> COVID-19. There's 
the corona. It's not talking about the drink. There's flattening the curve, which isn't talking about your dieting either. There's spikes, ICU capacity, shelter in place or SIP, stay home and save lives, masks, N95, fines, recession, outdoor services, outdoor dining, lawsuits between churches and state, Newsom, however that makes you feel, purple tear, 14-day quarantine, he tested positive, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, my life matters, I can't breathe, George Floyd, critical race theory, white privilege, protests, riots, looting, constitutional rights, no gathering outside one's own household, travel restrictions, 150 miles, distance learning, waivers, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, 25% capacity, small business shutdown, blue and red, which one are you? Immunocompromised, those are the words that have been circulated. They've become part of our vocabulary. And uh, I, I'm waiting for the day where when I hear these words, I won't remember 2020 anymore. When that's going to happen, I don't know. All I know is I have never seen it. Maybe you have. Maybe if you've been alive for twice my age, you have. I have personally never experienced a year that was filled with this much uncertainty and this much disappointment as 2020. And, and the, the uncertainty is unnerving. I mean, we're canceling plans. We're readjusting plans. You're going on vacation, but you're not sure if you can go on vacation because it's 167 miles from where you live. And who's going to, you know, who's going to enforce it? We don't know what's going to happen. And that's, that's been the theme of this year in one sense where it's, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Literally, what restrictions are going to be lifted? What restrictions are going to be enforced in the next hour? What kind of alert are you going to get on your iPhone after this service? But uh, even more than that is the disappointment of this year. So many plans have been canceled. Uh, so many things that you had hoped for that didn't happen or, or took, a, took a different turn. And a lot of people are entering into this season with sick hearts, and I think it's for this reason. It is for this reason. Because of what Solomon said in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you want something and you're looking forward to something, and over and over and over again, those hopes are dashed, your heart is going to get sick. And that has been the last eight months. And somehow now, we have to celebrate Christmas going into this holiday season with sick hearts. And so, really, the question is, is how do we celebrate Christmas in a genuine way? And how do you celebrate um, what should be our most festive season at the end of what's been the most unfestive year? And how do you celebrate this final holiday season of the year after a year that you would think is not worth remembering, it's worth forgetting. How many times have you seen that in the slogan? 2020, I'm ready for it to be over. And people were saying that back in April. 
And here we are in December trying to celebrate Christmas. And I, I thought, okay, well, if we make Christmas about the things that we normally make it about, then this is going to be the worst season ever. This is going to be the worst holiday season ever. If we make Christmas about the parties that we can't have, then Christmas is going to be horrible. If we make Christmas about the family gatherings that we're not allowed to have anymore, and maybe you don't want to go to family gatherings. Maybe this was a relief for you. Who knows, right? Um, sorry, Mom, Dad, I can't go this time. But if you make it about that, about the families who you're not allowed to see, then good luck making this holiday season worth it if you're making it about the presents that you weren't able to get because the stores were all out of capacity. And if you make it about the vacations that you wanted to go on that you can't because it's a little too far from our county, then this is going to be a dry, dry Christmas season. And I thought, though, that maybe it is a good thing because those things weren't what Christmas was meant to be about anyway. And maybe this is the perfect season to celebrate Christmas in a way that keeps it true to the Christmas spirit. Because the question is, is what is the Christmas spirit? Uh, what was going on in the hearts of the people who were anticipating the birth of Christ? When Jesus was about to be born, what were faithful Jewish people going through and what were they thinking about? What things were resonating in their heads? What things were going back and forth in their hearts? And here's the truth, that the current condition of our world today, of our country today, wasn't all that different than the past condition of God's people when Jesus came into the world as a man. And that's where you get the context of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, right? This, that, that verse that you see on greeting cards, right? For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, right? That's a 2,700-year-old Hebrew text that was meant to give God's people hope in an afflicted state, right? So when Christmas happened, right, when Jesus went, came into the world, when they were anticipating Jesus coming into the world, do you think Mary and Joseph were out busy buying presents, and making gingerbread cookies, and going to Lake Tahoe for a ski trip. Glad you're listening. So, I don't think so. And in anticipation of Jesus' birth, right, when Gabriel speaks to Mary, talk about setting up the Christmas spirit. Listen to some of the things that Gabriel says, right? The sun in your room, and by the way, right, it may, there, there, it, having a child in your womb as a virgin could bring you shame in your community, but that child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, will be great. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And then Mary sings this song later in that chapter, after Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and she says, God has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, his descendants forever. That doesn't sound like gingerbread houses. That sounds like politics. When Mary knew or heard that Jesus was going to be born through her, 
when Zechariah found out, when Elizabeth found out who was going to be born, they weren't thinking of the North Pole. They're thinking of a future kingdom, and that's what Isaiah chapter 9 is talking about. This is hope in the midst of captivity. This is the Christmas spirit. And Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 was written to Israel in the midst of Babylonian captivity. What hope do you have now? After all of your joy has been taken away, you have no more kingdom, you have no more king, and it looks like you have no future. For, this is why there's hope for, a child will be born to us. Your hope is going to be found in the birth of a human child. Not an angel, not a spirit, but the birth of a child. When you see this child born, and specifically a son, the birth of a male child in history was meant to signal hope in the midst of adversity and oppression and affliction. And this is a son who will not only be born, he will be given to you by God the Father himself. A son will be given to you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so when you see this child born, here is the hope that in the midst of all you're going through, in the midst of all that you've done and the punishment you're experiencing, and in a seemingly hopeless world, in an afflictive world, you have a God who loves you and showed it by giving you his son. And when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under a law. The son will be born in Israel 2,000 years ago. That is the Christmas spirit. And so when you celebrate Christmas this year, don't make it about all those other things. You fix your eyes on the things that those people's eyes were fixed on when they anticipated the birth of Jesus and when Jesus' birth actually happened. What were they thinking of, right? And this is what Mary, Joseph, all those faithful people who are awaiting the birth of Christ were thinking of. They're thinking of, hey, I have a yearning in my heart, and the birth of this boy means that that yearning will be satisfied. My heart's crying out for something, and it's the same thing. I'm going I'm to gesture this. It's the same thing your heart is crying out for today, and I know that because the Bible says it. I know that because I've interacted with many of you. It's the same thing my heart wants as well. Christmas was meant to signal this, that whatever it is that your heart truly is longing for as a people of God will be realized. And there are two things that your heart is crying for, and that's been exacerbated in the last eight months. Number one, your soul, your heart, is crying out right now for a perfect earthly ruler. We don't have one right now. And that ruler will be glorious. His rule will be global. Listen to this again. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. But what about him? So when Mary and Joseph looked at Jesus, right? When Simeon saw Jesus, this is what they were thinking of. They were students of the scripture. When Mary heard about Jesus' birth, she recited the Psalms. She recited about God's kingdom. I have no doubt in my mind that the words of Isaiah 9 were in her heart as well. The government 
This is rule. This is politics. The government will rest on his shoulders, and this is what he's going to be known as. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. The government, not just any government, but a world rule, a world dominion, will rest on the shoulders of one person. There is going to come a day when the entire global planet, when the entire rule of this world will be on the shoulders of one person. World history is moving to this place where there is going to be global rule. And his name is going to be Jesus. And so if you were to, uh, you don't have to raise your hands. I, I love this thing called Wikipedia because it summarizes everything about someone in one sentence. And so I looked up, and what I like about Wikipedia is you search up a person, and it gives you a one-sentence or two-sentence title, right, of what that person is occupationally. And so I looked up a, a number of different people. There is Ronald Reagan. Wikipedia says he's an American politician who served as the 40th president of the United States from 1981 to 1989. Nice, concise summary. There's, who's this one? I'll say it. You guess it. Former professional basketball player who is a sports analyst on the television program Inside the NBA on TNT. Shaquille O'Neal. An American internet entrepreneur, industrialist, media proprietor, and investor, also known as the founder and CEO and president of the multinational technology company, Amazon. Jeff Bezos. Who is, by occupation, who is Jesus Christ? And this is why I get bothered by the Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Where people sing songs to Jesus in a worship service and it almost sounds like they're talking to their girlfriend. Jesus is the one on whom the coming global government will rest on. He is the coming world ruler. And so when people ask me or when they comment if I'm into politics, that's a loaded question. People love to ask me, so are you into politics? Um, I am. I am in a politics. I'm living for a kingdom, an actual kingdom, not a Lord of the Rings kingdom, not a fantasy kingdom, not an ethereal one that I'm just thinking of, that I'm feeling. Jesus will come again, and Cliff is preaching through Revelation right now, right? But I'm, I'm basically going to cheat and take you to the end of it. Jesus is coming again to earth to establish his global government on earth, and he will reign forever and ever from the millennial kingdom, extending into the eternal kingdom. And, I, and so, am I politically driven? When the Bible says, seek his kingdom first, your kingdom come, live for the kingdom, the church has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, I would say, I am politically driven. I'm, I'm living for a kingdom. Just because I don't like to talk about Donald Trump and Joe Biden, right, in, in casual conversation, doesn't mean I'm not political. I am, and here's why. Because I'm waiting for somebody to come who is going to rule over every square inch of the planet, including the land we know today as America. And when is that going to happen? I don't know, but it's going to happen soon, and we're called to live for that kingdom. All Christians should be, in that sense, 
politically minded because Jesus will come as a political ruler and we have a role in that to prepare the world for Jesus' coming and to, as the church, be the keys to ushering people into the kingdom and as we spread the gospel all over the earth, the kingdom will finally come after that. Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth for the second time to put the dominion, the world rule, over his shoulders. And here's what I like about it. It's not going to be a republic. The king has already been elected. And think about this. We won't be having presidential debates where you're going to hear, well, you just shut up, man, happening. If anyone even tries to say that to Jesus, he will deal with them with a rod of iron and put them under his feet. And that I am looking forward to. I don't know if you are. I am, where our king will be God's chosen king, will be convinced, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when, so you hear the words of Psalm 2, verses 6 through 9, where God says, as for me, I have installed my king. There's no voting here. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. That's Psalm 2, verses 6 through 9. Jesus Christ is coming back to take the world to himself. He has asked the Father for the world to be his, and the Father will hand over the earth to Jesus Christ, and we will get to reign with him. That's a global rule. And what's he going to be known as? What are his titles? Again, Wikipedia was my best friend in the sermon prep. Let me read to you some titles, some nicknames of some previous rulers in the world. You take a guess if you can... And these titles are, are meant to describe their character, their conduct, their rule. There was the Great Terror. That was talking about Joseph Stalin because of the brutality with which he reigned. There was the father of the Constitution, James Madison, because of his role in penning that document. There was Bloody Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, known as Bloody Mary because of the way she persecuted Protestant Christians during the English Reformation. There was Ivan the Terrible, nicknamed for Ivan the Fourth. There's Alexander the Great, uh, one of the great conquerors in the Greco-Roman Empire. So what's Jesus going to be known as? Names are given to describe the way a person is and the way a person rules. And we like giving nicknames to reputable people. Here's what he's going to be known as. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor. When we think wonderful, we think, oh, that's great. When we think counselor, it's the guy who's sitting in the back of a desk and you tell all your problems. We think of a shrink, a wonderful counselor in the Bible when they heard the words wonderful counselor. It's not talking about a nice shrink. Wonderful, also translated as marvelous, difficult to understand. Counsel, the counselor, 
was the person who advised the king as to how he needed to rule the country. Do you remember what happened to Rehoboam after Solomon died, where he did not listen to the counsel of his elders, and therefore the kingdom split under his rule? So every king needed royal counselors. David had them. A number of different people had them. They were the ones who the king consulted, who advised the king as to how to rule the nation and how to deal with foreign nations because of their wisdom, because of their discernment, and because of the breadth and the depth of their knowledge. Wonderful. Wonder of a counselor, meaning they have a wisdom that we can't fully grasp. And so often, when the Bible speaks of God's counsel, it describes it as wonderful. Finally, when God answered Job... After Job kept pressing God for an answer, why in the world is this happening to me? I did nothing wrong, and yet everything wrong is happening to me. And he's listening to the foolish counsel of his three friends who should have just stayed quiet in the first place instead of trying to give him an answer. Finally, God speaks and says, Who darkens my counsel and interrogates Job? You remember that? You gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you answer me. And he goes through three chapters of asking Job, Do you know how to rule this universe? And finally, Job says, Your counsel is too wonderful for me. In other words, you have a wisdom that I do not understand and I can't grasp. It's of an infinite depth and an infinite breadth. The wonderful counselor, Jesus, will have as a ruler, a wisdom that you and I will not be able to fully grasp, but with which he's going to rule over the world. He's going to have infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom. He will never make a mistake. He will never be blindsided. He will never be confused. He will never be perplexed. He will never be ignorant because he has the mind of God himself, infinite depth and breadth of knowledge and wisdom. The child, Jesus Christ, will grow up into a man, die for our sins, ascend to heaven after raising from the dead, come back and rule our planet with the wonder, the wonderful counsel of God himself. That I'm looking forward to. Not only that, he'll be known as mighty God Mighty, Gibor, God, El, where you get the word Gabriel. Literally a warrior God. Every good ruler needs a set of counselors who can advise him, and he needs mighty warriors who can fight for him. People who were skilled in battle and combat, filled with courage. David's mighty men were the reason why he stayed alive in the midst of all the persecution he endured. The mighty men who battled for the king. He had counselors, he had warriors. This Messiah, Jesus, will not only be a wonderful counselor, a counselor with infinite wisdom who rules the world. He will have infinite power. He will never be challenged, never be overpowered, never be conquered. Infinite wisdom, infinite power. He has the power and the strength and the courage of God himself. The wonder of a counselor, the warrior God himself on our side. But not just that. He's also going to be known as the eternal father, a father, someone who cares, who provides, who loves his children. Jesus will rule in a way that will meet the needs of every single person who is a citizen of his kingdom. And not only that, but he will be the prince of peace. He's going to lead the nation, lead the world, lead the nations 
into a state of reconciliation before God and reconciliation before each other. And, and look at this. This is a prophecy from Micah 4.3 that's going to happen when Jesus rules. He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Jesus will come. He will judge. He'll render decisions between countries and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Weapons will no longer be weapons. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. When Jesus comes, there will be world peace because he is the prince of peace. As a wonderful counselor, I mean, think about this. People, people love to be in positions of leadership until they're actually there. When you realize, number one, how many decisions you have to make. Number two, how much criticism or complaining you're going to receive from making those decisions. And number three, when you realize just how many of those instances you just don't know what the right thing is to do because you don't have the full breadth of knowledge. And that's why leaders do develop white hair. And it's not because they diet that way. It's because they're trying to make decisions that they know are either going to get people angry at them or decisions that they just don't know how to make. We've seen it this year. Government is, we've always known, has been imperfect in character. More and more, based on what's been happening, we're seeing that the government is severely limited in wisdom and in knowledge. How many of us have said, I would hate to be in the position of our governing authorities right now? Because who knows what the right thing is to do? You really think that our governor and our public health official know what the right thing is to do in every single turn of events? Do you really think they know how to balance all those curves? Do you really think they have the exact correct solution as to how to minimize the spread of the virus and the hospitalization impact in a way that's not going to ruin our economy and ruin people's mental health. Do you really think they have the solution to that right now? Do you really think we have it in us to figure out how to help all those oppressed groups in a way that doesn't neglect any other group and doesn't promote any kind of socialism? This is the year we've thrown banana cream pies at the government because we feel like they don't know what to do. We don't know what to do either. And that's why in your heart, you know you are waiting for someone to come who knows what the right thing is to do. And when Jesus comes, he will always do it. He'll always do it perfectly with infinite wisdom and infinite discernment. And anyone who tries to challenge him will be unsuccessful because he is not only your wonderful counselor, he is your mighty God. And he will not only bring, and this is the spirit of Christmas, when you see that baby boy born, when they saw Jesus born, they were thinking someone is going to come who will bring God's people perfect clarity and will bring God's people perfect security. When we are in God's kingdom, because he is mighty God, no one will ever be able to harm us. We will be untouchable. He will fight for us. He'll subdue all of our enemies. The power of the creator himself will be in the one who rules over us on this planet. And because he's our eternal father, every one of your needs, 
are going to be met. You'll be lacking in nothing. He will tenderly and bountifully provide for everything you need. And he'll restore the peace that you know you want and you, <laughs> you realize you just can't grasp. No matter where you go in the world, there's tension. There's chaos. Even when we did, even when our family did move to Hawaii, that was supposed to be a move to the more peaceful place. Hey, get us out of this. Back then, <laughs> the country that I grew up in, the Philippines, had the highest kidnapping rate of any country in the world at that time. And so they moved us, and it was in a state of political chaos, and so they moved us to, parents moved us to Hawaii because the crime rate was supposed to be low, it's supposed to be paradise, it's supposed to be some kind of melting pot with this whole thing called island hospitality, and for the most part, it was great. And then one day, we're driving, and I noticed, and my dad was driving me and my siblings, and I noticed that there was a neighborhood with people who didn't quite look like the ones we had interacted with in the city and people I went to school with, and it was a rundown neighborhood, and I asked my dad, hey, what's this about? And he said that those are the native people of Hawaii who do not want and do not accept that Hawaii is part of the United States known as the Hawaiian Sovereignty Movement, which is a grassroots political and cultural campaign to establish Hawaii as an autonomous or independent kingdom to get independence from the United States. And the people who are proponents of that movement great or hate it every time they see tourists come into the country. Not everything there is all about hanging loose and having fun. Even a place as beautiful as that has underlying political turmoil. We long for peace. And yet the reality of conflict and animosity we see at just about every level. We can't even get peace in our own homes. And then at a cultural level, even when the country is supposed to be a place where everybody is supposed to have equal opportunity, there's cultural animosity, certain demographics just don't like each other. At a national level, you've seen it. We're not in a state of peace in our country. At an international level, why, why do kids keep asking me, when do you think World War III is going to happen? Even they can, they can sense that there's an earthquake brewing, a political earthquake brewing. Even at a church level, we can't figure out how to be at peace with each other. There are churches today that won't interact with each other because of underlying conflict and tension. And by the way, no Facebook post that you make is going to end up solving this. I don't know why people think that posting a long Facebook post on this and this and that and that is going to create world peace. All it does is it deepens the demarcation between different groups that are already polarized. But when Jesus comes, I'm almost sure he won't be using Facebook. When Jesus comes... He will lead the world into world peace where nations will no longer be at war with each other. And imagine that when you looked at a baby boy who was born and your thought wasn't a gingerbread house. Your thought was because of him, we are going to get to a place in history where the world will no longer have war. 
He will rid the world of hatred. He will rid the world of animosity. He will rid the world of tension in our homes, between our cultures, in our nation, between nations, between believers. And this is what I'm looking forward to. We won't ever have to worry about being politically correct. There's going to be one ruler who speaks the truth, who rules in justice and righteousness. We won't have to worry about saying something that's going to offend someone who's in a different party because there's going to be one party. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. No division. He will return. He'll reign over our land. That is what they thought of when they saw Jesus born. Your soul's yearning for a perfect ruler will happen because Jesus was born. We want it so badly right now, and we can't get it, and you know you can't get it. We know going into 2021 that there's turmoil ahead. When Jesus comes, it takes all of that away. That is the Christmas spirit. Maybe, maybe it is the perfect season to celebrate Christmas. But number two, your soul's yearning for a perfect, not just earthly ruler, but a perfect earthly reign. What's it going to be like when Jesus reigns over the earth? As the wonderful counselor, as the mighty God, as our eternal father who meets all of our needs, and as the prince of peace who brings the world together in unity under one rule, the government resting on his shoulders, what's it going to be like? And in verse 7 it says this, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Look at that. His reign will have eternal abundance and increase. There will be no end to the increase of his government. Do you remember what Jesus said? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. starts off small, but it grows up to be the largest of trees where all the birds rest. Jesus' kingdom starts off small. It will be the largest of all kingdoms. It will extend to every inch of the globe, and that increase will have no end. He will lose no inch of his territory and lose no ounce of his authority. And listen to what uh, Daniel prophesied. About all nations, Daniel said in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it's he who changes times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. That's world history, isn't it? Kings rise, kings fall. Empires are built, empires fall. But in those days... Of those kings, Daniel 2.44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And so when you find yourself in that kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he's ruling as a wonder of a counselor, right? As your mighty God, as your eternal father, all your needs are being met and the world is in a state of perfect peace. You can know that that will never end. The world will always be like that under him. God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Every world empire had a beginning, had a climax, had a decline, and had an end. Even the major ones. A lot of these small nations, small beautiful nations, were at one point large empires. 
The kingdom of Christ will be eternal. The increase of it will never end. The prosperity of it, the abundance of it will never end. And you have the assurance when you're in the kingdom of Christ. And this is why I say a Christian should be political for that kind of a kingdom. You want Jesus to come. You're ushering, you're hoping, you're praying for Jesus to come. You're preparing the world for Jesus to come. And when you are there, when you find yourself in the kingdom, this is the assurance that you have. What it's like here is what it will always be like. There will be no end to the abundance. And not only that, there will be no end to the peace. The world rule is under no other name. The condition of the planet that rest, that tranquility, that absence, the total absence of turmoil from the millennial kingdom to the eternal kingdom will be like that for eternity. And is, is it not one of the marks of a good leader who is able to bring his nation, his people, to a state of lasting and sincere unity? One of the most difficult things to accomplish as a leader is to bring reconciliation to parties who have been offended by each other, to bring reconciliation between cultures that have disdain towards each other. And that's why when Jesus says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the church then becomes a picture of that, where you bring two groups, Jew and Gentile, who were previously at animosity with each other, now becoming one under the name of God their Father, one in the church, no segregation, no disdain, no animosity, and that is but a picture of the kingdom that's to come. That's what the planet is going to look like when he comes, and there will be no end to that. The planet will be in the new heavens and a new earth in a state of perpetual peace and rest. No longer be divided over Jesus. Today, if you preach that Jesus is Lord, people are either going to be interested in you, they're going to believe you, or they're going to want to kill you. There will come a day when where you preach that Jesus is Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what you say is true. No more division over Jesus Christ. You won't be the minority anymore. Not just that, his reign will have eternal justice and righteousness on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it, with justice, referring to the, ex the execution of rendering of good and evil, a just ruler will punish what's evil, will reward what's good. A corrupt ruler will reward what's evil and will punish what's good. And righteousness describes the nature of the actual conduct and the decrees of the ruler himself. Jesus will rule with perfect justice, with perfect righteousness, and that will last into eternity and it will be accomplished by the passion, by the zeal of the Lord himself. There's a reason why, I mean, if you were just to do a word association, there's a reason why when people hear the word politics, they think of the word corruption. Do you think it's fair in our country right now that under these restrictions, Children are not allowed to go to school in person, but they are allowed to be murdered in the womb. Is that fair? Is that justice? Do you think we're in a state of righteousness right now when we're having to decide which is the lesser of the two evils? 
When as Christians, we're divided as to which of the lesser of the two evils we have to vote for. We have world rulers today who might reward righteousness and might give justice to the righteous, but who they themselves are not righteous. And there are those who might say they care, who might say they're a father of the nations. There's no justice in this world, at least not what it should be. You open your eyes and you look at the world and you know not what it should. We are living in a twisted and perverted generation. Things are backwards. And if your heart is not yearning for a ruler who can come and administer eternal justice and righteousness, who will forever put down what is evil and reward what is good, and who himself will decree what is good, then you haven't opened your eyes to the world. When Jesus comes, the moral foundation of his rule will be justice and righteousness because he will be one who hates evil, who loves what is good, who is good, who has the justice of God himself, who has the righteousness of God himself, Jesus Christ, the righteous. When I think of the word righteous, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and I voted, by the way. I could have put that sticker on myself. I cannot attach the word righteous to either of our candidates. Can you? When Jesus comes as our Savior, as our advocate, he will be Jesus Christ the righteous, and when he rules with a rod of iron, he will not be Jesus the terrible, right? Not Jesus the oppressor. He will shut down everything that is evil. He will punish what is evil, and he will uphold what is good. He will reward those finally who are walking by faith because he himself will put out decrees that flow out of a perfect heart of righteousness. That's why we preach the gospel. And that's why we preach the kingdom. Because we need someone to come down and to establish eternal peace, eternal justice, eternal righteousness, and eternal abundance. And we need the security that when he comes and reigns over the world like that, that that's how it's going to be forever. Jesus will have no term in his rule. He will rule forever. And how is this going to be accomplished? By the passion of God himself, the zeal of of God himself. He, in his jealousy for the world, God is a jealous God. Jesus is a jealous God. And the world belongs to him. And when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, it means that all creation belongs to him rightfully. And he will become first place in everything. The nations are going to be given back to him. Uh, I, I mean, that's a Trinitarian conversation where the Son asks the Father for the world, and the Father has promised to give it to him. He is reigning on the right hand of the Father right now over heaven and earth, and he will come down to establish his reign over the earth. Christmas is every bit as politically significant as this election season. The government will rest on his shoulders. There will be no end to the increase of his reign and peace. Who gets to be a citizen in this kingdom?
is the question. Only those who have been forgiven of their sins and who will be pardoned before the king. Every person has transgressed against the king himself. And every person needs this. They need forgiveness. No one can enter into that kingdom and claim that they earned their right to be there. Only those who can say, I don't deserve to be here, but who have been promised forgiveness of their sins against the king himself will be in the kingdom. And who has their sins forgiven? Everybody whose sins have been covered by the death on the cross of the king himself. And whose sins are covered on the death of the cross? Everyone who believes in him, those who walk by faith, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those such as this. And so when you think of Christmas, when you hear these songs that are singing about the birth of Jesus, somehow clear up whatever kind of cultural overtones we have as to what Christmas is about and get yourself back there. What were they thinking of? When Mary saw Jesus, when Joseph saw Jesus, when Elizabeth heard of Jesus, when Zechariah prophesied about Jesus, when the shepherds saw Jesus, when the angels, when the multitude of hosts saw Jesus and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to all men. What were they thinking of? What picture did they come in mind? And that can be the same hope that you can have in this Christmas season because Jesus has lived and died and risen on our behalf and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and be with him and reign with him in his kingdom when he comes again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise that he is to come. We thank you for the promise of his reign. And in the midst of all that we're going through in this world today, we know that the hope lies not in any person that we know of now, but the hope lies in him. And I pray that in this Christmas season, our hearts will be fixed solely on him, fixed on the future hope that will come uh, when he comes again to establish his reign on earth. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.